powerful song. Let's take our Bibles tonight, turn to the book of Hebrews again, Hebrews chapter 11. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you that as you leave tonight, if you've not registered to vote, there's still time to do that. You can pick up a voter registration out to the Welcome Center, get you signed up for all of that. You know, I, I'm going to make a statement here. It really don't matter how you feel about it. I'm going to tell you how I feel about it because this is how I think God feels about it. And I think we ought to get the next the Supreme Court justice seated just as quick as we can. I want you to pray about all of that. There is a God in heaven. And uh, I want you to be praying about that for many, many reasons, many reasons. Um, and then, of course, the selection process, that uh, God would be honored in that especially. And uh, good people are helping bet all that. Of course, uh, the family of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that uh, service I think will be coming up soon. And we remember her life as well. And then I think we would uh, be remiss if we did not ask for prayer for the city of Louisville, Kentucky tonight and ask God to bless the people up there. Uh, the, uh, I guess there was a rendering that came down for that particular uh, situation going on there and they were rioting in the streets before uh, it even got dark. And um, I just want you to pray for America. America is more than fragile right now. America is imploding from within and... Um, we need, it is imperative that we see revival. I know we've had services, and I've told you even going into the services, let's not stop there. Let's ask God to continue, give us a spirit of revival. And if you haven't figured out by now that Satan has tried to kick this church in the teeth, you're not thinking, because this is just plain bizarre what's going on. And uh, the devil hates this ministry, and ministries like it that preach the gospel. And I want to encourage you in that. Uh, I guess it's something that worth fighting for on his side should be something worth fighting for on our side. And you'd be in prayer about all of that. And God is blessing. I want to assure you of that. And we're so thankful for your prayers. Um, in uh, chapter 11, of course, we've been studying uh, this series, Our Journey Home. This is part three. We talked about uh, our uh, anticipation of heaven and how we should be anxious about heaven. It's kind of sad that we don't anticipate heaven until we get older or until we get sick. We should always be anticipating heaven. How many believe that heaven is a better place? Yeah. I have not seen, neither ear heard, neither has entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And so, love him. And so, you and I make ourselves comfortable here and it's a, on planet earth. That's a great mistake. And uh, we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, but nevertheless, we should be considering heaven a lot. And uh, some of you have lately because you've been sick with a high fever. But anyway, and then we talked about not just our anticipation of heaven, but our attitude on our journey home. And we're using this passage and kind of just tearing it apart because we don't think about what were the people thinking about when they were headed for home in the Old Testament and the New Testament. As we're reading in the New Testament, Hebrews, about a people who said uh, that they're, uh, they have a, a city, they seek a country. And... Uh, the Bible says it's a better country, verse 16, a heavenly country, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he had prepared for them a city. That was their attitude. That was their anticipation. We actually went through, we pulled out words from this passage to, to declare that these people embrace this. In other words, they, their whole life, their whole life circulated around uh, the God of heaven and the home that he had prepared for them. A Canaan land was just a resting place for them. They never, they never insinuated that, that Canaan would be their final resting place. They look way past Canaan. We studied here just the other day. And you and I should as well. So we pick up reading Hebrews chapter 11. Let's stand together, please, reading God's word. Hebrews chapter 11. 
And uh, we're going to look at one verse here in just a moment too in Acts chapter 14. But as we work our way down, considering these people that live their life in the Old Testament, they're being written about in the New Testament about their faithfulness to God. Listen what we hear about Moses. By faith, Moses, verse 24, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ. That's an unusual word to be used for an Old Testament saint. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. What was he talking about? Remember now, Moses is the one that God used to lead his people to the promised land. So the talk about heaven was all over the life of Moses. And God showed Moses things that he would show his people and his, the people would show their children. We already studied that. And so he said there's something, there's a greater reward than what benefit I can get out of being Pharaoh's rich brat son and have all the treasures and the shiniest chariot in, in Egypt. He said there's something bigger and there's something better than that. And so I want to talk about... <coughs> this subject for just a while tonight, uh, adversity on our journey home. We've looked at our anticipation of heaven, our attitude about our journey home. Tonight, I'm going to look at, at, at adversity on our journey home. And maybe this may help explain some of the things that our world is going through right now. Because how many like to have a redo on 2020? <laughs> I was going through my briefcase the other day. I had, uh, I had uh, put some some of those little chocolate mints down in there that has the mint inside of it. And I forgot, and it was in my car, and it got hot. And I had to, it was down there where all, my, where all my wiring and my modules for my computer was. I had to pull all that and clean all that out. As I was going through my briefcase, I found two Valentine cards. My wife had bought me one. I had bought her one, and that's right when people started to get sick. We had to come home. We were in Florida, actually. We were going to come home and celebrate. We didn't celebrate that. We didn't celebrate Easter. We didn't celebrate anniversary. We didn't celebrate birthdays. We haven't celebrated anything. And I'm ready for a redo. How about you? Well, we might get one. We may not because there's a lot of trouble out there. But this world's not our home, amen? I want to talk about our adversity. Father, bless us now as we study this section of Scripture, please, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. I want you to quickly take your Bibles, hold your place here. I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 14, and I want to read one verse there, a verse that popped out at me as I was really studying the Scriptures the other day for another sermon. And I want to read this verse to you because I want to get across the point that this isn't... Uh, this life is not a bed of roses, and we never, we've never been taught that in the Scriptures. For all of you that's looking for the utopia, for all of you that's looking for the perfect lifestyle, the perfect body, and all that, forget it. God has that for us on the other side. And so way too many people's living for that utopian society, and it's just not going to happen. Things, as a matter of fact, the Bible says things are going to wax worse and worse. And by the way, I'm going to show you how we can survive all that. I'm a happy camper tonight. I want you to be as well. But look in Acts chapter 14, one verse here, verse, verse number 22. He says in verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. That doesn't mean you get saved, you get lost, you get saved and lost. It means you're saved and you stick with it. Well, really, I'm going to preach on backsliding this Sunday. And uh, backsliders are saved scripturally, but they don't stick with it. He said, I want you to continue in faith. Now watch this now. 
and that we must, circle that word, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Let's read that phrase together. And that we sit ready, ready. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Let's read that again out loud. Ready? And that we must. Can you believe it said that? Paul said, look, folks, it's just going to happen. Now, uh, the word tribulation is the Greek word phalesis, and it means hardship, oppression, and persecution. So it's really kind of encapsulizing a lot of things that a Christian is going to have to go through in this life. And so uh, I know that many of you are anxious for us to get to the part of this study where the Bible gives a description of our new home in heaven, and I want to get there as well. And I'm heading there. We're going to talk about the streets of gold sometime pretty soon, but you've already heard about all that. However, as we stay true to our original title, which is this, our journey home, we must admit that in life, there's often a struggle and it's filled with, with days of sorrow. We're talking about the journey to our heavenly home. This is all part of our experience on that journey there. Of the many names the Bible uses for the saints of God, we learned about the pilgrims and, and uh, strangers here and other words it's used. Of all the names that the Bible uses for the saints of God, the name soldier probably is uh, one of the best descriptions of the struggle that we all experience as we make our way to heaven. Paul tells Timothy this in 2 Timothy 2, 3, endure hardness as a good soldier. Well, why would the Bible use the word soldier to describe the Christian life? I mean, sometimes we act like we're a bunch of flower children just kind of leaping through the daisies as we pick them and go through life. And you know it's not like that. By the way, do you get daisy? You go through the daisy field picking daisies to take a picture of them and put it on Twitter or whatever. But Hebrews 11 here makes it very clear that the life as a Christian is not a cakewalk. We're just going to take a brief look at Moses' struggle here by way of introduction as is described in verses 25 uh, through 29. Notice, please, in verse number 25, that he suffered affliction with the people of God. Indicating that the affliction wouldn't have been near as bad if he'd have stayed with Pharaoh in Egypt. He could have done that. He was considered Pharaoh's stepson, step-grandson, you might say. And he had a, he had a, a life of luxury ahead of him, all of it. You could, you could read all about it in the Old Testament. But he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Now, what does that mean? That means the people of God, as we read in Hebrews 11, suffered a lot of affliction. They were sown asunder. They were thrown to wild animals, the Bible said. We read about that last time we met. Secondly, he denied the pleasures and wealth of being Pharaoh's son. He denied that. He walked away from it. I think of the uh, man, I think his name was Arthur Borden. I may get the first name wrong, but he walked away from the Borden dairy empire he was the main heir to get the millions and millions from his father and grandfather from Borden dairy and he chose to walk away from that and become a missionary he chose to walk away from the luxury of that life in the Borden mansions and chose to live as a missionary in fact his life as I recall was cut short thirdly the Bible says he took on the reproach of Christ what does that mean Verse number 26, he chose uh, not to enjoy the, enjoy the place of sin for a season. In other words, there were pleasures there in that household, 
but he esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And let me just explain something to you. Let me explain why I believe this is worded the way it is. We're talking about an Old Testament saint, but we say about Moses that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater. What does that mean? That means that the Old Testament saints had a good handle and a good idea on who Messiah was. Though it was a mystery somewhat, the church was a mystery to them, they understood, and the God's Son was talked about, in, even in Genesis, and they, had, uh, they knew that God was uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They knew that just by reading Genesis chapter 1. And so they understood the Trinity. I know a lot of that is not taught, and we don't read that out front, but the New Testament tells us what they believed in the Old Testament. <laughs> and the Bible indicates here that he chose to suffer the reproach of the life of Christ. Now, I think it's mentioned here for this reason that you and I need to understand that's exactly what we endure today. Let me put it to you like this. If you're a born-again Christian and you're numbered as that, in other words, the people that you work around in your family, they know that, the closer we get to the return of Christ, you're going to suffer reproach. I'll go so far to say this. You may disagree with me. You may be happy being a secret agent Christian. I'm not. But I'll tell you this. The longer we go to the return of Jesus Christ, if you're not suffering some type of scorn and reproach, you don't have a good testimony. You're only going to be able to fly under the radar for so long. And that radar right now in this world is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Our brother's here from California. I know he's pastor of the chapel very, very well. And they're enduring some hardship right now. Great hardship. He, along with thousands of other churches in the state of California. And I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't like that a year ago. And I like to think that that's all going to change. But, and by the way, I want to see it change by revival. I'm just saying... Moses said this, he said, I'm not hanging with the world's crowd. I'm not hanging with all Pharaoh's buddies and all my friends there in the castle. He said, I'm going to suffer for Christ. And by the way, it is time that you and I put on the Lord Jesus Christ and live the way that God intended us to live in the New Testament. The Bible says here that uh, Christ was greater than the riches of this world. How many of y'all believe that? That's what he said. See, I, I'm not satisfied that a lot of Christians believe that. Uh, the Bible says here that uh, he, forsook, he forsook Egypt, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than, than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect on the recompense. Verse number 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. In other words, he said, uh, I'm walking away from this world. We're going to get that in just a minute. As we talk about our adversity on our journey home. I'm talking about this was Moses' journey. You look at Moses, oh man, he had it made. He, was, uh, he got the chance to see the back train of the Lord as he traveled, walked by him. He was hidden in the cliff of the rock and he had all this power and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at his life. He had adversity. He said, I'm going to walk away from the world. He said, I'm going to bear the wrath of the king. What does that mean? <laughs> that means that, that Pharaoh, his, I guess would have been his grandfather at the time, Pharaoh's daughter. So, yeah. And so, uh, and so he said, I'm walking away from all that, knowing full well that he'd be killed for that. We know the story how he had to flee anyway. 
But he was willing to bear the wrath of the king. And by the way, listen now, I don't want this. I'm not asking this, but the day may be coming that you and I may have to bear the wrath of the king. You, you think this election coming up is, it doesn't matter? Oh, it matters. It matters big time. All of the election. All of it. The Bible says here, when uh, he later returned to Egypt after Pharaoh's death, he faced off with the new Pharaoh. Even the point of, uh, of the uh, Passover night, look what it says. It says, verse 28, through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that, he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. What does that mean? That means, now boy, this was, oh, this was just a, this was kind of like a family reunion here. This is just a wonderful big cakewalk here. Yeah, the night that they all had to go in their houses and sprinkle the blood on the lintel on the doorposts of the lamb. And so that whenever the death of the angel passed over, the firstborn in that household would not be killed, but was killed. And Pharaoh's own son, firstborn, was killed. And he suffered that to the point that he's, he, 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 he was shoved out of Egypt with a high hand, was afraid he was going to die that night at the hand of Pharaoh. The Bible says he's brave enough to cross the Red Sea. He got, now I want you to picture, what would you do? Oh, as Moses, he had all this great power. Moses was a man of like passions, such as you and I. That's what the Bible says. But he got to the edge of that Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army is bearing down on him. And we know the story how God spared him, but he had the courage and the bravery to stand in the face of Pharaoh's army and stick his foot in that sea and walk across and if the, if, the, if the passage of context had time, it'd talk about all the ups and downs and the stiff-neckedness of God's people and how he got angry one time and didn't get to see the promised land because he smote the rock and said, smoke the rock. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But how many understand Pharaoh made it to the promised land? Pharaoh made it to the place where God is. Or excuse me, not Pharaoh, Moses. Well, where Pharaoh's at? He ended up where the boogerman is, I guess. I don't know. How many of you would agree that Moses did not have a life filled with perfect happiness? And none of us do. Maybe kind of explains the situation some now today that the world is going through. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Paul told the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that ye were appointed thereunto, for verily, that word verily means surely, for verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it has come to pass, and ye know. Job said this in the Old Testament, although affliction cometh not forth from the dust, Neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto troubles and sparks fly upward. Throughout the Bible, verse is common to the journey of the believer in Christ. Paul told John Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured... But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. See, that's the key. You're sitting here tonight, you say, well, I'm not having any trouble, preacher. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Let me ask you a question. Are you living godly? You're sticking your neck out there and telling folks you're saved and trying to lead people to Jesus Christ? Now, I want to mention three areas of adversity that are common to us 
as we wing our way home. What is that song goes where I'm winging my way back home? Uh, I don't know if we're going to wing it or not, but we're going to fly out here someday. As I'm making my way to heaven, I want you to mention three common areas of diversity. Number one, these are, these are common to you, so that's why I say common right now. First of all, number one, the flesh. Excuse me, number one, the world, the world, the world. And by the world, I mean the world system. Now listen to me. Don't miss what I'm getting ready to say. The world system since the fall is designed to cause you all kind of trouble. I'm talking about the world system. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and so forth. And so this whole world system is designed that way since the fall. Didn't need to be that way, but man sinned. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And by the way, when the Bible says for all that is in the world, it just described it. There are those three things. All means all. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Years ago, I preached a message entitled, The Pole of the World. I don't know how long ago. It's a long time. So far enough back, I can't find it. But I remember the message well. I remember the context. And in that message, I described the pull of the world like an invisible, the invisible power of a magnet. You ever have a magnet and you stick it up against some other piece of metal and there's, just, there's this invisible power, you can't see it, boom, it just pulls it to itself. And I described the world that way. The world has a powerful pull on every Christian. I want to say now, after all these years, that I had no idea how strong that pull really was. I'm watching weak Christians being easily pulled back into the world. And I'm watching them justify their actions every step of the way. It's literally sickening to me. But I'm going to tell you something right now. A true born-again Christian walks away from the God, gets back in the world, lives a miserable life. And don't you ever get caught up with him or your life will be miserable too. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And I want you to that person right now that's setting out of church and following the world right now. I'm not talking about setting out of church because of COVID-19. You're watching online. I'm not talking about you. By the way, welcome everybody online tonight. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those who've walked away from God. You know who you are. And you want to try to get everybody in there with you that you can get in there with you, make you feel good about what you're doing. But I want you to know that you're a miserable creature and you're going to be that way if you're truly born again. Oh, yeah. Read all that passage in Hebrews chapter Number 12. See what the Bible says about that. The world, the world causes us all type of misery and woe as we make our journey home. And the best way you can do is this thing, the best thing we can do is love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the love of the world is not of the Father. And so learn to hold things loosely. Secondly, uh, let me just kind of give you an old age thing right here. Let me just tell you this. 
Some of you that's in your 20s and 30s and 40s, you're just piling it up, you're buying stuff. You're just, I did the same thing. I'm guilty. If I saw it and I could afford it and it wasn't going to cost me anything as far as what I, my financial plan was, I would get it. Now here I am. I'm not old, but I'm thinking about getting old someday and I'm thinking about what do I want now. I don't want anything. Matter of fact, I'm still trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do with what I've got. I'm going to give it to Joe and let him figure it out. I'm just saying, you know, I, I, and by the way, it's, it's nice to have things. And I'm not opposed to that. We all have them. But don't fall in love with that stuff. Number two, the flesh, the flesh. Once you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Galatians chapter 5. I've got to hurry now. I'm, I'm watching my clock back there. We're going to be okay. I wanted to have a shorter service here, but I don't know how to do that. I, I try. Galatians chapter number 5. Let me read this to you here. I do have a couple points that said don't mention these if you don't have time. So just in case you wanted, I did knock some blocks out here. Look at Galatians chapter number 5, if you would, please. And verse number 16. Another a part that causes us adversity in our life really lays at our feet. It's our flesh. I'm not blaming the devil here. Not blaming the world here. Just how we assimilate information that comes into our minds and the decisions we make that cost us. Paul battled this. He said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of flesh? The apostle battled with it. Look what the Bible says here in Galatians chapter number 16, chapter 5, verse 16. This, say, this I say then, walk in the spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You ought to underscore that, circle it, put stars around it. If you walk in the spirit, you'll not do some of the rest of these things that's mentioned here. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Uh, and what the Bible says is this. There's, this. there's this battle. If the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you're a born-again Christian. There's this battle that goes on all the time. Let the Spirit of God win every time. Because when the Spirit of God doesn't win, He's going to double down on you because you're trying to get your way. He, is not, he does not want that. The Spirit lusteth the envy, the Bible says. He wants to control every area of your life. Give it over to Him. It goes on to say, but if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh will manifest are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, that means unbridled lust, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, that's talking about being quarrelsome and argumentative, emulations, that's talking about jealousies, wrath, strife, seditions, that means divisions and heresies, envies and murders and drunkenness and revelings and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. For all of you, that watch some of the marches that says they're born-again Christians and they do these things? <laughs> no. I'm sorry. No. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory provoking one another envying one another so the bible says here that if we're going to win over this this adverse condition in our life we've got to learn to walk in the spirit and not the flesh <coughs> that means that you're not you're not going to get your way a lot a whole lot and that should be okay with you because when we start getting our way we start building this resiliency against christ and the spirit of god we want more and more and more and the next thing you know we're involved in some of these wicked sins that are mentioned here your flesh will completely defeat you if you let it. 
This idea of the flesh is not just uh, the battle that goes on, but the fact that we get sick from time to time. Affliction will cause you problems going forward. Uh, emotional struggles. There are a lot of people that they live with an emotional struggle that will make your journey home not as sweet as you'd like for it to be. Relationship dysfunction and broken relationships. Can I just say that Christians can be a mess if they're not careful? I'm going to show you how to win over that in just a minute. And so the, the flesh. And then lastly, <clears throat> the devil. The devil. The world, the flesh, the devil. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, <clears throat> be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, destroy, take down, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. This is talking to God's people. Some of you just act like the devil only fights the unsaved people. Oh, he's got them. He fights us tooth and nail. And so this is something we carry with us all the way home to heaven. And we're taught to be sober and be vigilant on our journey home and understand that the devil wants to take you out and ruin not your destination. You can't take that from you, but ruin the journey. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans 5, and I'm done. Romans chapter 5, if you do that real quick right here. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> I'm going to show you the progress that God intends for us to have when trouble comes. James said this in James 1, 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trial of your faith worketh patience. Now, here's what I'm saying. Let me put it in a nutshell. You already know this, but on your journey home, there's going to be adversity. Not one person in this room is going to get away from it. Some will have worse trouble than others. So we say, well, that's baloney. I mean, that's not what I thought was going to be like. Wait a minute. Jesus said in this world, you have tribulation, but in me, you have peace. You see, Christ wants to be your all in all. And here James says, he says, my brother, and he said, when you fall into different types of temptations, knowing this, that trying your faith work with patience, count it all joy. Count it joy. Sing like Paul and Silas did when they were chained together there in that jail cell. And I know you're saying, well, that was Paul and Silas. That's not me. Well, it better, you better find out for, a way to be, for it to be a way to be you sooner or later. Let me show you the progress here God intends for us to have. Paul writes about in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 3. And not only so, underscore this, but we glory in tribulations. That's what we're talking about. Paul said in Acts 14, he said, we're going to have tribulation as we make our way to the kingdom of God. On this journey to the kingdom of God, he told us, we're going to have tribulation. All right, here he says, glory in it. Glory in it. Let me stop and say this before I move on because there is a progression I want you to see. I, I'm starting at my age to finally figure this thing out. And I'm going to tell you what's really helped me. Prophecy is being fulfilled at such a rapid pace right now because I have read my Bible over the years. I can see exactly what God is doing. He's taken our hands and he's prying our hands off of this world. 
Most of the things that you enjoy was taken from you this, this year. Some put their head down. They say, I'm not going to, I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to do that. I'm still, yeah, and you, you did. And it wasn't near as enjoyable because you looked around. There wasn't anybody there to enjoy it with. That's why he says, I want you to learn the glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience. Let's talk about steadfastness now. And experience hope. And here's where we're trying to get. Verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Wow. I think a lot of Christians have been ashamed of their testimony for way too long. They've covered it up. The Lord is pulling it out in the open right now. And you've got to take your stand for the Lord. Our journey home, I kind of want to make it a little, a little more exciting here, but I'm just telling you, we all know it's there. Problems are there. So find a way to whistle through it. Find a way to get peace in the Lord. Somebody asked me the other day, they were talking about how bad things were, and man, they were just going right down the line, boom, 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 boom. They said, Preacher, what do you think about that? I said this. I said, and I'm telling you this before all of you and the people that's on line right now. I have complete peace in my soul with what God is doing. And you should have as well. I, I, I go to bed at night when I'm not sick and I, I sleep all night. I don't toss around, worry about stuff. It's a song... I'd sing this if I could, me, 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 but I'm not going to. Oft times the day seems long, our trial is hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away. All tears forever over in God's eternal day. Y'all know it? It will be worth it. I'll sing it. When we see Jesus, life trials, life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run. The race. Listen to this. Sometimes the sky looks dark with not a ray of light. We're tossed and driven on, no human help in sight. But there is one in heaven who knows our deepest care. Let Jesus solve your problem. Just go to him in prayer. Life's day will soon be o'er. All storms forever past. We'll cross the great divide to glory safe at last. We'll share the joys of heaven, a harp, a home, a crown. The tempter will be banished. We'll lay our burden down. Sing it out. It will be worth it all when we see. <coughs> Sing it. Sing <coughs> it. 
When we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. How many believe that? Say amen. Let's stand together, please. Father, thank you for your love for us, and thank you for the journey home. We're headed to our heavenly home someday, and help us understand more and more really what it's all about, what it's like. May we anticipate it like a child getting ready for a trip, like getting all of our suitcases laid out for the big trip. May we be excited about that. May we understand we need to have a good attitude as we travel together.